The following audio is from Axe Church in Leander, Texas. More information about Axe is available at axechurchleander.com. Uh, well, we are in the, uh, the third week of a series we've been in called Facing Leviathan, and, and we're going through the book of Jonah. We're doing a chapter a week, so we're, we're three-fourths of the way done. Uh, and, and, and in this series, we've called this series Facing Leviathan because Leviathan was, was sort of this, uh, this creature, this, uh, is this ancient creature of the deep that sort of represented chaos in the ancient world. Leviathan represented chaos in the ancient world. And we, the last couple weeks, have recognized that without being alarmist, we live in kind of chaotic times, right? We live in, in, in pretty chaotic times right now, whether it's internationally, nationally, within our city, and within our own personal lives. We're facing Leviathan. And so we're looking at the story of Jonah to teach us how to do that well how to face Leviathan well. And so uh, the first week that we saw, we faced Leviathan secure in Jesus and what he's done for us. Uh, Last week, we looked at how how prayer shapes us uh, in the midst of facing Leviathan. And today, we're going to look at what it is to obey God in the face of Leviathan. What does it look like to obey God in the face of Leviathan? Now, I realize I I say that word obey, and we get a little uncomfortable. Right? We, love them we think, like, we think of, of oppression or we think of someone imposing their will against mine, trying to get me to do things that I don't want to do, right? And so, so when I think of the word obey, the, the first thing that, that comes to my mind is actually the, the work of the, the street artist, uh, Shepard Ferry. I think I got a picture of, of some of his work. Have any of you ever seen this work or seen this logo anywhere? All right, cool. Yeah, if not, just you need to get out, okay? Uh, and so uh, it's, it's actually, it's Andre the Giant. Uh, and, and, and so it's just kind of a common thing. It's become uh, a clothing line as well. So you may see it on a lot of people's clothes where it says obey. And, and it's uh, this, this guy's work. And he kind of does it all over the world. And he's got this whole clothing line from it. And, and his whole idea behind this, uh, I read up on this, is, is to kind of share his ideology of self-empowerment. And what he does with his images is he wants us, the viewers to look and recognize that there are forces at work, there are propagandists, as he calls them, out there that are trying to get us to obey their way of doing things, that are trying to bend us to their will, whether that's advertising and marketers trying to get us to buy products, politicians trying to get us aligned, or even religious figures trying to get us to do what they want us to do. And so his point in all of his work is for us as viewers to recognize that ever so subtly in our culture, there are forces at work telling us to obey what they would have us do. And he sees that as a negative thing. And so this is kind of his way of doing a wake-up call. And by and large, I actually agree with Ferry. I agree with Ferry. Like, like I think there are many messages in this world Many folks trying to shape us to do things, trying to sell us something, trying to get us to live a certain way, do things a certain way, that we should as Christians actually rebel against. And so it's great. But when it comes to obeying God, that's a different story. When it comes to obeying God, there is truly nothing better you can do in your life than obey God. There's nothing better you can do in your life than obey God. Why? Because he knows more than we do. He cares about us more than we do. And he's got a bigger picture in mind of what he's doing than we could possibly imagine. Right? I, I, uh, I think about it like this. Uh, so many of you know I have a, I have a three-year-old son. 
Uh, and if you've ever spent time with a three-year-old, uh, you know they're basically just like a walking, talking defiance machine, right? Whatever you, yep, preach, brother, right? Whatever you say, they're just going to say no. Like, like, I can't tell you how many times I've been like, all right, Titus, uh, would you like water or milk to drink? Juice. Wasn't an option, bro, you know? Or, or, or Titus, do you want mommy to put you to bed or daddy to put you to bed? Grandma. That was not in the list, right? She's in Wisconsin. It's not going to happen, right? Like, it doesn't matter what I say. He's going to do whatever he can to find the opposite, right? And so, so the other day, he was having a particularly rough day uh, listening. Uh, and, and my wonderful wife, Melissa, spent much of the day talking to him and saying, Titus, you, you need to obey mom and dad. It's important to obey mom and dad and to not disobey mom and dad. And so she's using that language again and again. And, uh, and dinner time rolled around. And uh, sometimes at, at dinner time, uh, the Casper family, we bring out the old question jar, uh, which is this little jar that has these slips of paper in it with these questions on it. And, uh, and so we just pull it out, and then we all answer the question. And, uh, and the question that night was, uh, what do you want to be remembered for? Now, obviously, that question is a little deep for a three-year-old to answer, right? Like, it's just a little deep. Uh, but it's, it's sort of always fun to see how he's going to answer, right? So we asked him anyways, and we said, Titus, what do you want to be remembered for? Uh, and he thought about it, and he thought about it, and he goes, obeying, obeying. I was like, yes, I want you to be remembered for that too, buddy. And I thought though, you know, like, that's actually a really good answer. Like, like I, I want to be known for that. I want to be known for obeying, not, not for obeying my own impulses, not for obeying advertisements or politicians, but for obeying God. That's what I'm be remembered for, for obeying God. Why? Because he's my father. I want to obey him. Because he loves me. I want to obey him. Because he's got a bigger picture in mind of what he's doing in this world than I could possibly imagine. I want to obey him. And this is what we see in our text for today. That Jonah finally obeys God and delivers God's message. And that as Jonah delivers God's message, the people of Nineveh obey God and they repent. And from that, we're going to see what it is for us to obey God. All right, so that's kind of a little outline today is Jonah's message, Nineveh's repentance, our obedience. Okay, Jonah's message, Nineveh's repentance, our obedience. And so let's get going. If you have your Bibles open, you can look with me at verses 1 through 3 in our text. It says this, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. All right, so let's just give ourselves context here so we're all on the same page. Uh, Jonah chapter 1 starts out, God calls him and says, Jonah, you got to go to Nineveh, preach the message I tell you. Jonah says, nope, running away from that, uh, but he couldn't. Just so you know, you can't run away from God. Get swallowed by a fish. Uh, then last week, the fish vomits him onto dry land. And so we get to this point, chapter 3, God shows up and says, hey, go to Nineveh. And this time Jonah does it. And it's pretty cool, actually, I was, as I was studying for this text, to see the, the literary move that the author makes here in the book of Jonah. Like if you read chapter 1 and chapter 3 side by side, uh, it's really neat. So let me just show you kind of how it lines up. Uh, so chapter 1, chapter 3, the first verse, the word of the Lord shows up to Jonah. Word of the Lord shows up to Jonah. Next verse, tells uh, Jonah to arise, go to Nineveh, and give him the message. Arise, go to Nineveh, give him the message. Verse 3, Jonah gets up, goes to a big city, 
Jonah gets up, goes to a big city. So there's this, this parallel between chapters 1 and 3. But what's the big difference? The big difference is the first time, of course, Jonah disobeys God and heads for the wealth and the comfort of Tarshish. But in chapter 3, Jonah obeys God and heads to Nineveh and does some profoundly uncomfortable work. And the author of Jonah wants us to see this contrast here. That Jonah's will was initially to flee to the safety and comfort of Tarshish. But God's will that Jonah finally submits to is to head to the discomfort of Nineveh in chapter 3. And so what does this teach us? This teaches us that in order to obey God, we've got to recognize his authority in our life. In order to obey God, we've got to recognize his authority in our life, right? Like Jonah's first call to obedience, his first call to go send the message, uh, he took as optional, right? God said, go tell us the message. Ah, I don't think I want to. God's like, bro, wasn't an option. You couldn't say no, right? He needed to recognize God's authority in his life. And so through an incredible series of events, God shows him his call's not optional. And so finally, Jonah recognizes God's authority in his life, and he takes action. And the same is true for us, right? If we're, if we're going to obey God, we're going to live the lives that he's called us to live, we have to recognize his authority in our lives. But the truth is, right, oftentimes we don't. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make maybe a, a bold statement here. I think we oftentimes don't take God's voice as authoritative, not because we don't know it, not because we don't like it, though sometimes that's the case. I think sometimes we don't take God's voice as authoritative is because we don't care. We don't care. That there's a spirit of apathy that sort of floats around us uh, in, in our culture, in our church, just in general, just kind of where we are, there's this spirit of apathy. Uh, Dorothy Sayers, who was a, a brilliant uh, author and playwright in uh, the late 19th and early 20th century, she put it like this. The sin of our age is not power-hungry materialism, as the liberals say. It's not a permissive spirit of lawlessness, as the conservatives say. The sin is to believe in nothing, care for nothing, seek to know nothing, and interfere with nothing. Therefore, those who commit this sin enjoy nothing, hate nothing, find purpose in nothing, and never really live for anything because there is nothing to die for. Now, I love this quote, because sister doesn't mince words here, right? She just hits the nail on the head. But what she does here is expose the lie that I think so many of us are tempted to live in. And it's a lie that says, what's most important in my life is taking care of me and my family, and that is it. I just got to worry about me and mine. I don't care about anything else. And see, it, that's, that's the problem. That's why we get so offended when we talk about obeying God. Because that might mean he'd want to impose on your life. That might mean he'd want you to do some things that make you uncomfortable. That maybe you don't like. And if all you're living for is you and yours... All you're living for is you and yours. Your gut reaction to God telling you to do things is going to be, and who are you to tell me what to do? 
Well, let me tell you who he is. He's the God who created you. He's the God who sustains you. That every breath you have from him is a gift. Every breath. That there's not one atom in this entire universe that is not under his control. That every moment of joy and every moment of laughter and every moment of love that you've experienced in this life is a gift from him. Can I tell you something? That gives him authority to tell you what to do. It just does. That gives him authority to call you to obedience. Let me just encourage you to listen to him. And that's what Jonah does. That's what we see in the next section of text. Look with me at verses 4 to 5. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. So Jonah goes into Nineveh, this massive city filled with violent people that hate him and hate his people. We talked about this the first week. It'd basically be like you going into an ISIS cell, right? So he goes into that, and his message is, 40 days, and Nineveh's going to be overturned. 40 days, and God's going to fry you all up like a crispy piece of bacon, right? I'm sure it's a really popular message, right? Something he really wanted to deliver to these folks. What I love, though, is we saw in, in verse 3 that Nineveh's three days' journey through, right? It's supposed to take him three days to do his work, but what happens in verse 4? One day, going a day's journey he does one day's work, says five words in Hebrew, and boom, verse 5, everyone repents. Everyone repents. Everyone believes him. Now what's that tell us? It tells us this. We obey and leave the results up to God. We obey and leave the results up to God. Like, think about, like, like Jonah is a runaway prophet from the middle of nowhere. And he goes to the biggest city in his part of the world at that time, says five words in Hebrew, and sparks a revival in the whole city. And he does that begrudgingly, and yet God works through that. See, I think another reason we don't obey sometimes is because we think, why bother? Why bother? Like, 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 what difference is it going to make if I obey God or don't obey God? Right? Like, like this isn't ever going to change. That person's never going to change. It's just another drop in the bucket. And can I tell you, like, I get that. I get that. Like, I think about it in my life. Like, I've got, I've got friends of mine that, like, I've shared the gospel with. I have prayed for them for years to come to faith. And, like, nothing, man. Like, no one's budging. Like, it's just not happening. I just think, why, why am I doing this? Why do I care? Right? Or some of you, maybe there's people in your life who've wronged you and you say, why, why should I forgive them again? They're not changing. Why should I forgive them again? Or, or why should I be patient and loving towards that person again? Nothing is changing in their life. Or man, I think, I think even sometimes the, the benevolence ministry that, that we do here. Like, kid you not, truly, I was at this point in the message uh, when Steve Huey called me about the Belize hurricane, and I was like thinking, bro, we did a love offering two weeks ago for a family in need. 
And now we're going to do another offering for folks down in Belize. And guess what? You and I both know that a couple weeks from now, there's going to be another need that God's perhaps calling us to. And I start to think, like, like why bother? Like, like, how much can we throw at this to actually solve anything? Like, why do we bother doing any of this? Is it really making any of a difference? What the story of Jonah reminds us is that the results aren't up to us. The results aren't up to us. Our responsibility is obedience. God takes care of the results. Our responsibility is obedience. So, so we share the gospel. We love our enemies. We forgive those who wrong us. We give to those in need. We obey. We leave the results up to God. The story of Jonah shows us that, that even in begrudging obedience, God can work some incredible things. Work some incredible things. I mean, look what happens next. After Jonah's message, Nineveh repents. And look with me at verses 6 to 8. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. All right, so Jonah's message reaches the ears of the, kings of Nin- the king of Nineveh. And he gets, gets up off his throne, covers himself in itchy sackcloth, and sits in a pile of ashes and repents. Repents. Like, we, we talked about this the first week. This is an Assyrian king. Like, we have inscriptions of an Assyrian king saying this, I destroyed I devastated. I burned with fire. Same guy that said that is now sitting on the ground, covered in ashes, repenting before God. Now, I mean, imagine that today. Can you imagine if the President of the United States walked out of the White House, tore off his suit, sent his entourage away, and went and sat in a dirty alley with garbage around him in his underwear and started weeping in broken repentance for his nation. That's what happens. It's incredible. And then the king, in our text, calls all people to repent with him, to turn from their evil, to turn from their violence. He even says, did you guys catch this? He even tells, that, says the animals have to repent. I don't even have a theological category for that, right? I don't know what to do with that. What does that mean, right? It's just bizarre. Now, what causes this massive repentance to happen in this violent city? What causes that to happen? It's God's law. It's God's law. See, we, we don't like to talk about this too much. But the truth is this. Uh, in order for the good news to be good, the bad news is pretty bad. The bad news is pretty bad. And the bad news is that we, like Nineveh, sit under God's judgment. The bad news is that you are more sinful and more wicked than you think. The bad news is you're more sinful and more wicked than you think. And I, and I say that, and I know in our modern context, we get, whoa, easy, buddy, easy. We get a little offended. But listen, it's, it's not me saying that. It's, it's the Bible. It's the Bible. 
And see, we get offended by that because I think so often we fail to realize how lost we are in our own sin. We, co- we become blind to our own sin. Let me put it this way. Uh, philosopher uh, Peter Rollins uh, tells me about an article, or he didn't tell me personally, uh, read, uh, uh, he read an article in an old copy of Better Homes and Gardens, you're familiar with that, uh, but an old copy of Better Homes and Gardens magazine, and he tells about an article he read about a famous politician. And this article was about uh, this politician, it's about his beautiful home, and this politician loved having people over for parties and for dinner, uh, and he had, a, he had a beautiful garden with fresh herbs and vegetables, and this politician was a, a strict vegetarian. Uh, he never touched a drop of alcohol. Uh, he loved having uh, little children come to his house and he'd give them cupcakes. Any guesses who this politician is? It's Hitler. It's Hitler. Here's the thing. This article's not lying. It's talking about his house, it's talking about his personal life that way. Now imagine, if you knew nothing about history and all you did was read this article, you'd probably conclude, oh, Hitler seems like a pretty nice guy. Does anyone else feel like they need to change their clothes after I said that? Right? Because you and I both know that he was not a nice guy. That he's the, the biggest villain in modern history. And so this article about him giving cupcakes to children and, and hosting parties is true. But it's not the truth about who he is. See, the truth about who he is is the horror that he produced during his lifetime. Man, I know this is harsh language, but I think sometimes we do this, man. We tell ourselves the story of the Better Homes and Gardens article. And we don't recognize the darkness in us. We don't recognize the sin that's festering inside of us. Because at least we're not as bad as those people over there. At least I'm not doing what they did over there. We fail to see that we have all sinned, that we all fall short of the glory of God, and that God has called all of us to obey him, and none of us has done it. Now, I recognize I say that, and uh, some of you may say, hey, that's all well and good for you Christians, but I don't really believe in God, or at least I don't believe in the God of the Bible, so I'm not really worried about living up to some sort of made-up deity's expectations. If that's you, fine. Fine. But recognize this. As human beings, we all have this propensity inside of us to live up to someone's expectations. We all have this propensity inside of us to live up to someone's expectations. Uh, Following uh, World War II, the French philosopher and skeptic Albert Camus uh, wrote one of his more famous works called The Rebel. And uh, it was written to kind of examine uh, the bohemian and rebellious culture that that sort of typified uh, Parisian life at that time. And their, their sort of rebellion against institutions, including the church. And in that book, he said this. Up to now... Man derived his coherence from the Creator. But from the moment that he consecrates his rupture from him, he finds himself delivered over to the fleeting moments, to the passing days, and to wasted sensibility. Like all people without a rule of life, he is only coherent as an actor. He can only be sure of his own existence by finding it in the expression of others' faces. Other people are his mirror a mirror that quickly becomes clouded, perpetually incomplete. He compels others to create him while denying their values. He plays at life because he is unable to live it. In other words, Camus, who is himself 
not a believer, says, listen, if God's not going to be the judge of your life, everyone else is going to be. Good luck with that. Or as I like to say it, if God's dead, everyone else just became God. Like, there's a reason, friends, that you look at other people's lives and feel inadequate. There's a reason there's people you don't want to spend time with because you don't live up to their expectations. It's actually not about the other people. It's about God. Because, listen, there's nothing we can do to fully meet the expectations of other people. And there's nothing we can do to fully meet God's expectations of us. But here's the good news. There's something God has done for you in which all his expectations are met. Look with me at verses 9 to 10. The king's talking. He says, Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. See, the the people of Nineveh experienced the weight of God's law on them. And they repent. And God shows his mercy. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us. God calls us to obedience. He calls you to obedience. And we don't live up to it. And so the only thing we can do is repent. To turn from our sin. And that's why, if, if you were to read through the Gospels, read through Jesus' life, that's why his message always had two parts to it. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, Jesus would say, repent, turn from your sin, and enter into God's kingdom of grace. And you see, Jesus can make that claim of repentance. He can call us to do that because he's the only one to have ever lived up to God's law. He's the only one to have perfect obedience to the Father. That he lived the life that you could not. And that led him to the cross. And on the cross, he faced God's judgment for you. He died the death that you deserve. But your hope is that as you repent, as you trust in his work for you, His perfect record becomes your perfect record. His obedience is now your obedience. And so God's judgment no longer sits on you. See, the bad news is is really bad, admittedly. But the good news is really, really good. It's really good. See, you're more sinful and wicked than you think, but you are more loved and accepted and embraced by the Father than you dared imagine. Hear that again. You are more wicked and sinful than you think, but you are more loved and accepted by the Father than you dared imagine. It's good news. Uh, So one of my favorite things about our church is most Sundays we have people here who are are not Christians, or as I like to say, not Christians yet. Um, And uh, and a couple weeks ago, some of you may remember this, I I co-taught with my buddy Jay. It was maybe about a month ago now. And, uh, and after that, he shared with me, a young lady uh, came up to him, who's not a Christian, and, and she said to him, hey, so I was listening to the message, and it's fine, but, but why are you Christians so obsessed with sin? Why are you guys so obsessed with sin? And, uh, and it's good she asked him and not me, because in my pessimism, I would have said, have you ever met another person? 
That's why. Uh, but, but, uh, but she talked to him, who's much more gracious than I am. And, uh, and he talked with her for a while, and, and I don't know what he said. Uh, but, but what I hope he would have said is this. We're obsessed with sin because we're obsessed with our Savior. Because we know that even when we were far off, that even when we couldn't measure up, that even when we were under God's judgment, our Savior Jesus came. He measured up for us. He took God's judgment for us. And now we get to live in the sweet freedom of God's grace. And see, it's, it's in light of that grace that we're free to obey God wherever he calls us. Let's pray. Lord God, teach us to obey you. Teach us to, to listen to your word, to do what it says, even when it's hard, even when the results don't go our way. Teach us to obey you. And Lord, when we fail, which we do, Teach us to trust in Jesus and his perfect obedience for us. Teach us to rest in his grace. May we not feel the weight of the law anymore, but may we live in the freedom that is given to us by our Savior. Pray that for each of my friends this morning, Lord, that they live in the freedom you've given us in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Acts Church in Leander, Texas. Feel free to share this message with others and stay connected with us at actschurchleander.com.